great, great song. You can be seated. Thank you so much. God's good, amen? Salvation is, is a work of grace, isn't it? Isn't it? Amen. It's grace. Think about what Paul said in Ephesians 2, by grace, through faith, and it's a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. Um, by the way, I want to thank uh, Friday, uh, and not, we didn't say, I didn't say a whole lot about this Wednesday night, and I guess I should have, but, you know, Griff, my son-in-law, uh, my son, uh, son-in-law, his mother died and the funeral was Friday, and, and uh, Peggy was, was uh, only 59 years old, very young. And, and uh, anyway, many of you, uh, they have a big family, and uh, many of you provided food for the family. I, I would imagine they had 30 or 40 people at the house where they gathered after the funeral, and, and uh, they wanted to wanted me to tell you thank you. There were two churches that had gone in together and, and uh, they had plenty and, and I'm grateful. Um, it, and you had to do it early, you know, because uh, I know Diane came up here a little after nine and took the food to the house. Well, anyway, so thank you. Thank you so much for uh, ministering to the family uh, through, through, uh, through that. And you know, you're like me. A lot of times you can't, there's not much you can do but we can serve and, and meet their needs as far as food is concerned. And I will tell you that, that Griff, I call him Griff, uh, uh, has really been, um, I told him this, so I can tell you they, took, they went on kind of a mini vacation, but he has really been sharing with his, I mean his parents, his dad and his brother are believers, but Griffin has really been a, or a spiritual rock. Not that I've been shocked, but it, I've watched him say and do some things I've never seen him say and do. Maybe because he's around me, I don't know. You know, I, I you know, and uh, but he has really, uh, he has he has really been sharing God's truth with his family, and and that's been a blessing. And uh, but anyway, so just continue to pray for Griff. His brother's name is Graham. And his dad's name is Mike. And uh, so if you'd pray for them. I, hey, if you have your Bibles, I wasn't planning on doing this. Let, let's go back over there to Galatians 6 where, where Robbie was reading. And I, I picked these verses out because many times there's a portion of them that speak to uh, what I'm talking about, obviously. Uh, I usually pick them out and send them to Robbie. Every once in a while I have to just tell him to pick his own out. But... Most of the time, I'm trying to find something that relates to my text. And by the way, once you find Galatians 6, if you want to also go to 2 Corinthians 3, that's where we finished. We, we ended there, uh, but we're going to go back to it this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, we'll, we'll look at that in just a second. But, you know, and again, this, this is not um, necessarily what I'm focusing in on this morning, but I just wanted to show you... When Robbie was reading it, it reminded me I'd been to a, I went to some training uh, years ago for um, biblical counseling and and uh, we looked at Galatians six in, in far as when you encounter people with something. And I'm going to show you something that's interesting about ministering to people's needs. Uh, 
if you don't mind, I know this is a little redundant, but it is God's Word, and we can never hear it again too much, right? And uh, so he says in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Even when we have to, I was, we were meeting, the deacons were meeting and staff were meeting this morning for Bible study. And it's interesting, even when you have to confront people with their sin, now that's not this situation, you're trying to restore them, you know, but, but sometimes when you have to be very confrontational, somebody's, let's say, publicly humiliating the name of Christ, and you're having to confront them and call them to repentance, it's humbling because you feel like you're not worthy, because you're a sinner. But if somebody's out there mocking Christ and making a scandal of what it means to be saved, we have to speak to them and call them to repentance. The Bible requires that. It doesn't mean that we have to be perfect, but that's where Paul mentions to Timothy that leaders have to be above reproach. And what that means is the person you're rebuking can't take their finger and stick it in your face, and actually it sticks. They can stick their finger in your face, but it shouldn't stick. It shouldn't be true what they're fixing to say. So it's talking about a storm. But it says, he says, bear one another's burdens. I like that. Um, that's one of those passages that talk about being in the body. Okay? Um, if you're not in the church, you've lost one another's. You with me? Bear one another's burdens. That's a church passage. You, it means you're in the body. And you're willing to bear one another's burdens. That's what we're supposed to do. But if you're never at church, this is just one of the things that happens when you're here. Uh, you're able to do this if you're here. If you're not here, you can't do it. And so you miss the ministry opportunity, plus you miss the growth opportunity. So that goes back to, you expect the preacher to say this, on the Lord's Day, unless you physically are unable to be here or you're out of town, where should you be? in the Lord's church. So bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I heard about the preacher that was so proud of his sermon. He thought he preached so good that he went ahead and signed his own Bible. Now, I find that funny. You may think that's stupid, but as a preacher, you find that to be funny, you know. People always want to sign, you know, can I have your signature? I mean, nobody, I've had, I think I've had two people in my whole life ask me to sign something, so. Uh, and, and one of those was a lawyer. I, I'm just kidding. This means, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding about that, but. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You and I all have met and even know somebody that thinks there's something all the time. Um, and it really is disgusting because it's so contrary to the humility of Christ. Um, you, if you have the Spirit of Christ, Book of Romans, if you have the Spirit of Christ, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to be, you're going to have humility. 
because Christ was humble. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Okay, so we want to humble. But look, look, if you got your Bibles open, I'm going to show you something you don't think about a lot. He says, but let each one test his own work. So you're, judge your own work by God's word. You can do that. You can examine yourself, right? And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. He won't depend, he won't brag to his neighbor. Okay, but then it says, look at verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. Now let me, let me just say something. Sometimes when we minister to people or we're trying to help somebody, we do so much for them, we become unbiblical. Does that make sense? You with me? No matter what circumstances we are in, the Bible requires that a Christian steward bear a burden. So if we're... I always think about benevolent needs because if, if, that's... Um, you, you, you can do too much for people. And, and they lose any sense of being responsible for anything. You can do that to your kids. But I, so each of us, as a Christian, he's talking about from in the sense of Christ-likeness and obedience, that we each need to bear our own burdens. We, we need to always have our own responsibility. They don't need to be taken from us. We become lazy and lethargic. And I mean, there's all these things that you can do. It's just the Bible teaches. That's, when we talk about part of biblical counseling, everybody needs to be a burden bearer. Um, but then I just want to show you one other thing and this, I want to pick up on this briefly this morning as if I do anything brief verse 8 uh, I love verse 7 do not, you know, do not be deceived I learned it in New King James so it says do not be deceived <clears throat> God is not mocked for whatever man sows that shall he also reap so when it comes to sin, you reap what you sow. There were things, that, even getting saved at 16, I was saved at 16. There were things I had done as a teenager when I had sown to the flesh that the moment I got saved, there were still consequences I had to deal with because I'd sown to the flesh, right? And so there were things that I still dealt with. So... Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And look what he says. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, decay, the early stages of death. So if you, if you sow to your own flesh, and don't be deceived. God's not mocked. There's laws. There's, there's laws. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. And, and so, let me just say this. What, what's it called? Monkey pox? Am I right? I knew this like three or four months ago from reading America's Frontline Doctors. Um, from day one, it's been a homosexual issue. But now it's a national, they, the, 
president made it some kind of what he made some kind of national issue for that right help me what's the word I'm looking for health crisis let's thank you Robbie a national health crisis and folks that is that is a homosexual issue not um, I'm not going to get into it from there but um, but is that not prophetic number one that our, our own government several years ago legalized the, the male, we'll move on, but the male act legalized it and, uh, and, and the Bible condemns it. And it, well, I tell you what, um, take, we're going to, well, we're going to bear off for a minute here. Go to Luke 17. Go to Matthew, Mark, Luke. Go to Luke 17. I'm going to have to paraphrase a couple of things. I'm still going to get to 2 Corinthians. But this is God's Word, and, and it's, it's okay for me to chase a rabbit. As people say, as long as I don't kill it, you know, chase it down and kill it, you know. But look at, look at Luke 17. Um, look at verse... Uh, Verse 22, and he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you'll not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go, do not go out or follow them. For, and see, to me, this is, this is a rapture event. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. Now what's interesting to me about that, and I know you're thinking, he's talking about prophecy again. Well, I am because of the sign of where we are, but it says in His day. And also this lightning, as the, as the lightning flashes across the sky, it ought to, your ear ought to pick up the hearing of that when it says the sky, because when Christ takes the church, where will we be gathered? In the sky. So this is why I think it's a reference to the rapture, but we keep reading, okay? But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now he's talking about. Right before I that happens, I've got to die first, okay? And just look what he says: just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. That day, this when he comes back, okay? They were eating. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. Until the day, the day, there's going to be a day, and it's going to happen so fast like lightning shooting across the sky, but it's going to be undeniable. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us that are alive and remain be caught up and meet the Lord in the air. That's there's a day, a day, called the harpazo, or called the rapture. They were eating and drinking, and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark 
and the flood came and destroyed everybody. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, They, and see, that's interesting because Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah are primarily known, that cities are known for one, they had all kind of sin. It says that, but, but there was one major sin, okay? Not the only sin, but the one major sin. And they manifested that when they tried to, tried to rape the angels, Okay, so uh, there's no doubt. So keep keep reading. So as it was in the days of Noah, it says as it was in the days of Lot, uh, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Sodomites is what the Bible calls that, Sodomites. If you want to read about that, um, just briefly, if you don't mind, take, go to, hey, we'll just do it. Go to Genesis 19. Let's just read about it real quick. Go to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis, that's the first book in the Bible. Robbie. First book, Genesis 19. Uh, of course, the angels have come to the city. I'm going to have to skip a lot. Genesis 19, the angels have come, and there were three that showed up. Two went to Sodom. One stayed uh, with Abraham. And anyway, it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. But anyway, so two angels have come to Sodom. But before they, verse 4, but before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, look what it, now read the text, both young and old, all the people to the last man. Now that, I believe God's word. I believe every word of it, okay? And there's a reason why Moses was led to write that. To the last man. Surrounded the house. You know, he's in, the angels are in Lot's house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? By the way, the angels are beautiful, even when they come in the form of a man. And fallen angels were beautiful when they came, you know, when they did what they did. But every time you see an angel, if they come in human form, it is a male. Okay, and uh, so where where are they? They came to you tonight. Bring them out to us that we may know them. Same word where it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve. Same word. Lot went out to the men uh, at the entrance and shut the door. He went to his front door, shut the door behind him. He said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Now we can drop down because Lot was crazy there. But the men, verse 10, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. That's where they, they got all fired up. So the angels pulled Lot back in the house. 
And they, the angels, they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. So, so you're talking about they were so adamant and so intent on fulfilling their sexual desires they wore themselves out. Even blind, they kept looking, trying to get into the house. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city. Bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place. Because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out. Are you looking at your Bibles? This is sad. Now remember what the text said earlier. I think there's a reason why Moses wrote what he wrote under God's leadership earlier in chapter 19. So Lot went out and said, to his sons-in-law. Now, they were not, they had not consummated the marriage yet, but they were under contract to his daughters, who were to marry his daughters. They were already considered legally his son-in-laws, but they hasn't they haven't gotten married physically and hadn't consummated. Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. What does it say? But he seemed, he seemed. To his sons-in-law to be what? Jesting. So they weren't saved. And I'm just saying this, but maybe the intent of the earlier verse, maybe Lot didn't see them, but maybe they were in that crowd. I'm just thinking, that was at the door or around there. Just quick, it says, As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters, who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. And then just look at finally verse 24 and 20, I mean 21 and 22. He said to him, Behold, I grant you. He wants to go to another place. Anyway, he wants them to change cities. They're going to take him one place. He wants to go to Zoar. So he said to them, Behold, he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Talking about where he wants to go. Escape there quickly. And look what it says. For I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city is Zoar. What he said is, I'm not going to judge the city of Sodom until you're in the safe city. Think about Jesus saying, as it was in the days of Lot. So until you and I, that's how I interpret it, until the body of Christ, the church, His bride, is in the place, is in His house, that's when He's going to pour judgment upon, upon, this, upon this earth. Let me read you one more passage. Go to Romans 1. Don't ever... Folks... Don't, don't ever, this matters, it matters. When, when this type of sin becomes commonplace 
in a nation, you are on the cusp of collapse. Romans, and when your own government uh, promotes it and encourages it. Uh, I'm in Romans 1. I can't read this whole thing, but picking up at verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also uh, to, to the Greek. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that He has made, so they are now without excuse. For, all they, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile or futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Think about all the knowledge that information our world has. Just it, how much wisdom and knowledge people have. But they're foolish. And here's why they're foolish. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So they worship creation. Not th Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They're worshiping the creatures. And then God gives them up. They, they've denied God's sovereignty and they worship the creation. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. It's progressive. God gave them up. God gave them up. For this reason, God gave them up to, dis to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now don't, don't go leave here and say that that verse only applies to homosexuals. But I'm saying it does apply to homosexuals, but it applies to all other sins of the flesh. Whatever a man sows, you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap what? Corruption. 
So look what it says about this, this particular sin. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So they reap something that happens to themselves. Maybe a medical condition. So it's God's judgment on... But again... So to the flesh, you reap corruption. Um, since we're here, since we're here, go to Second Peter. Go, go to Second. We just might as well nail all this. Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter. Second Peter, chapter uh, two. Two Peter. If you're interested, I mean, I mean, you can find this and listen to this later. But these are verses you 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 need to know about. Okay, to, to when people want to say that that this is no no big deal, um, leave them alone. I heard a local radio personality the other day. I don't listen to this all the time, but it was a afternoon personality on the radio and. She, she, sorry, said something about something that's so contrary to the Bible, I told Diane, I'm not going to listen to her anymore. You know, I just uh, claiming to be wise, they became fools. It's just foolish what she said, according to the Bible. Now, everybody else thought she was cool, but politically correct is what she was, but it's still, it's just absolutely wrong. I, I'm sorry, I'm in Second Peter 2. Uh, well, let's just read the whole thing, verse 1. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. So... So this perversion, Peter is saying, is in the church. People claiming the name of Christ, okay? And, and, in, their, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. I'm talking about false preachers. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Well, saying, as Paul said to the Romans, they're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Uh, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, you remember the angels that did the dastardly deed of Genesis 6, those angels that fell and had relations with human women, God bound them up. So it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but He cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, 
He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented, uh, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially, are you looking at your Bibles? And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Talking about exalted, but, but so, so here, and if you can see the same thing, you can turn a page and go to Jude. That's the last book before Revelation. Just look at Jude. Jude says much of the same thing after 3 John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and um, Jude. Look at Jude 7, verse 7, chapter 5. Just kidding. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. It's interesting. An example. The fire and brimstone that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, that was an eternal fire. But it was an example of eternal fire. Those same words of brimstone and fire are in the book of Revelation. Part of God's judgment. It says, yet in, in like manner... These people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. They're somehow blaspheming the righteous heavenly beings kind of thing. He says the same thing. But verse 7 was the key. I just wanted you to see that it's prophetic. Whether it's in America or somewhere else in the world, whatever you want to call it, monkey pox or whatever, it's a sign of the end of the age. And uh, the fact that we normalize, our, not me and you, but our, our government and our culture in general normalizes it is a, is a very scary issue. Uh, now we can go to 2 Corinthians, okay? I, I know I'm out of time. I don't have a clock up here, but I, I know I'm out of time. What time is it, by the way? Okay, go to 2 Corinthians. Um, i tell you what, let's do. Um, we, had, we had been talking about being trans, that God in salvation uh, transforms us and, and that we are, we're transformed and God's desire is for us to be like Christ. And I use this 
this word that the Bible uses over and over again, that Christ is our icon, right? It's the, our icon. He, he, he is the image icon that we look to because we want to be like Him. Look at verse 18 of chapter 3. Remember, he's talking about the veiling. We've been through this, but I just want you to see this, the process of, of gaining glory, of, of, of growing into Christ's likeness. We have, we have to gaze, have to look upon the glory of Christ. Now, folks, I don't see Him until I do this. This is where I see Him, right? I can't trust my mind and my emotions. He hadn't, he's never appeared to me in a vision. He's never sat beside me on an airplane. You know, I've never seen Him in a cookie. I've never had a special revelation of Jesus. But I see Him. He's in me. And I see Him in the book. So what Paul says to those at Corinth, and we all, with unveiled face, comparing, you know, what Moses had done, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed that this is where the language matters are being transformed it's present indicative what he's saying is is that if you will gaze if you will gaze at Christ if you will study Christ if you will look at that icon Christ if you'll look upon him study him you know, worship Him. He guarantees you that you will grow. You will be transformed into that same image. So He says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. It's a process. We keep gazing. We keep growing into Christ's likeness. And then the moment we're transfigured, we'll be transformed immediately to be like Him. From one, look what he says, you're looking at your Bible, from one degree of glory to another. So we will grow from one degree to the next degree to the next degree only if we're looking at Him and studying Him and worshiping Him. We will grow step by step. And he tells us, this is what spiritual growth is. He says, for this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So when we talk about spiritual maturity, we're talking about Christ's likeness. When we talk about growing spiritually, how are you growing spiritually? It's growing under Christ's likeness. It's synonymous. But we have to be gazing upon Christ in order to grow to be like Christ. Gazing for the glory. Looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's odd, isn't it? We talk about one thing and end with looking at Christ, but it is God's Word. We need to know it. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed. Thank you so much for your presence this morning. Remember Wednesday night, Bible study is at 6 o'clock. And at 6, by the way, there's studies for all ages. And we will soon, not, you know, not next week or so, but in a few weeks, we'll start 
doing our Wednesday night meals again, but we'll let you know about that. Don't forget about the sign-up for the special study on Wednesday nights. Um, see, see Robbie, Michael. There's several others that are on the nominating ministry team if you want to sign up to serve somewhere. Let's pray. Father, I, I believe what Christ says. I believe what the Apostle Paul says. I believe what Peter says. And those things being true, we are living in the days of Lot. And Lord, that makes me realize that that your return could be very, very soon. Father, help me to live as if you're coming this afternoon. Father, help me, help my people, help, help this church, help us. to be so attached to Jesus that this world means nothing. Father, help us pursue Christ's likeness. God, help us to do what Jesus says and the Word says. Help us to be obedient to your Word. Lord, this morning we leave knowing that your grace is amazing. Thank you for saving us from our sin. Thank you for the new birth. Thank you for allowing us to serve in your kingdom. Watch over us now as we leave our assembly to share the gospel to a lost world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here this morning.